This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is the Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Lionel's making all kinds of moves. <laughs> Alongside me, Lionel Makokotlela. Welcome, Lions. Good to see you, Gary, and welcome to our guest and our podcasters. Cool. The question we're asking today is, what factors are considered when our courts decide on a, on a sentence, on an, an appropriate sentence, they call it? You are just being naughty. <laughs> For example, should a mother who has defrauded her employer over many years be kept out of prison just because she's the mom? And then on the subject of prison, on the other hand, how do our courts meet out punishment against vehicle hijackers, housebreakers, robbers, rapists, child molesters and other similar monsters? Everyone wants to know how the courts deal with this. And joining us in studio today is a man who knows the answers. He's in court every day of his life in the criminal courts. He's specialist attorney in criminal cases, attorney Peter de Viet of Ian Levitt Attorneys in Santon. Welcome to you, Peter. Thank you for having me again. Cool. Let's uh, give out lines. You want to give out our uh, Twitter handle? It's at Hertzlaw, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. And uh, you do the Facebook? Yeah, our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. If you'd give us a like, we'd appreciate it. Oh, well, yes, certainly. And you can also give us any topics that you would like us to talk about or any other legal uh, issues that you're actually facing. Then we'll make it a point that we find a specialist who deals in that specific uh, field of law and they will give you free advice. On today's show, we've picked up some really good questions from our collaborative partner, Legal Talk South Africa, with its membership now lines of 167,000. Yeah, Gary. Now we're growing and thank you for the partnership to legal, um, platform. Cool. Because we need it. We really do need it. And most people really need the legal advices. And so this whole partnership, it's actually growing and we are happy about that. But more importantly, that people are actually getting free help as a result of this platform that we have with Gareth Cliff. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, legal talk pushes us and we push them. So between us, I think we're both growing. Yeah. Let's talk of a case that happened uh, a few weeks ago in the Johannesburg High Court. It's about a mother who defrauded her employer. And the judgment in that case was handed down very recently, as I said. It's about a woman called Janice Watson. And she went on appeal because she got quite a, she got a very heavy sentence for defrauding her employer over a period of some time. I can't remember the figure offhand. Uh, Peter, do you know how much she defrauded? About 650,000. 650,000. Mm. Okay. In the trial court, which was in the magistrate's court, she got quite a heavy sentence. Do you, what was Seven it? Seven years, yeah. Seven years jail. So she went on appeal and she said, hold on a second. I'm the primary caregiver of a child. And if you send me to jail, my kid's going to suffer. Now, that's, that's all very well. I mean, mm. there's retribution and what about us and what about your employer who you deviously stole from over a period, period of time? Now you come along. And you cry, I'm a mommy. Why didn't you think of that at the time? So talk to us about how this works with 
okay. with caregivers, yeah. Okay, one of the first things that you've got to keep in mind is, is in that uh, case, the uh, court refers to S versus M, which was a previous case in which a very similar situation happened, but the facts are differentiated because in S versus M, you had a single mother looking after multiple children. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Watson here, if you look at the facts as they're written in the judgment, I obviously wasn't involved in the matter, but she has a child of 29 and 19, so they are obviously not minor and they don't need a care. We have a child of nine, but the child of nine lives with the grandmother. Mm-hmm. So the court of code, that's your, your, your first court, in this case the regional court said, um, we're not going to take that as much of a factor and they gave her a custodial sentence, right? Also keep in mind that having stolen more than 500,000, she fell within the Minimum Sentences Act. That mm-hmm. was brought out in 1997. And it prescribes certain minimum sentences. In this case, for fraud of more than 500,000, the minimum sentence prescribed is uh, 15 years. Yes. From which the court can deviate only in uh, where there's compelling and exceptional circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that the relationship between her and her child was considered anyway. What's notable further in the judgment is, is that they, the court doesn't give a different Sentence. It doesn't say, oh, I'm keeping you out of prison or I'm only giving you a year instead of seven. The court says, the high court says, I believe that the magistrate and regional court underemphasized the relationship between you and your child and we must send you back out there. You're going to go back to the magistrate's court and they must reconsider the sentence. So it's by no means uh, authority for if you're a mom, you can just go free. Um, it's a very important factor. They look at the Children's Act and the rights of the children's and the, uh, children and they try and put them uh, as paramount. But it's also not a hunting license for single mothers to just steal and carry on as they wish. Well, to a great extent, if you're a single mother or you're a primary caregiver, mm-hmm. your chances of going to jail, according to these cases you refer to, are lower. Are lower. Much lower. So um, you can steal a bit with impunity. You can take your chances, as they say, because... On the strength of this, what you're saying in this very court, in the on appeal, the court did not confirm the, the seven-year, eight-year sentence Mm-mm. and said, go back to the magistrate and he must consider another sentence in light of the fact that you are the mom and you're looking after the yes, kids. Yes, to give you consideration there too. But I mean, if Sorry, it, we don't know the result of what's going to w- – No. Because that, that's still about to happen. That's still about to happen. I mean, in your experience and you in court every day – in light of the ju- of the High Court judge's judgment, what will the magistrate probably do here? I think we'd still get a custodial sentence. Custodial means prison. Prison, yes. Still going to prison. Um, there's other aggravating factors. Um, it happens over a long period of time. It's a high amount. There's the two uh, F&B employees whose career she ruined because mm. what she did was is they acted in trust with her, didn't check her. So they, while not being criminally liable, did become liable in, in labor law and lost their employment. Yes. So, I mean, what she's done has uh, has had a great effect. Um, also, the fact of stealing from an employer. In, in, in law, we talk about the protected legal goods. What is being protected? If murder is illegal because human life is protected. Mm. Now, one of the things that's being protected here is not just private property, i.e. theft, but it's a trust relationship, the minimum trust relationship which is required for commerce to run in mm. the banking and et cetera, et cetera. And she's broken that. She was in a position of trust, lest we forget. 
the um, Constitutional Court, I think, was was that State versus M? Was that the case in the Constitutional Court on this very issue? They've relied on the African Charter on the rights and wealth of the child. Yes. And uh, that it says that rather than go to prison, just keep a mother or a, a caregiver out of prison to look after their children. I can understand that we should be reticent to send the mother of a small child to prison. But let's say this this woman has walked in the street, pulled out a firearm, killed 15 people. Do we just let her go because she's her mom? You always have to balance things out. So I agree with the court that it should be a serious factor to consider. You've, you've mentioned the Criminal Law Amendment Act or where there's minimums, minimum sentence provided. Yes. And that comes from the... Uh, Criminal Law Amendment Act of 1997. Correct. Offhand, uh, do you know about what uh, the courts are, b- are obliged to give offhand, or is it unfair on you offhand? No, no, no. I've got yeah. a, I've got a fairish idea. Fifteen years is a, is, a, is 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 a general one for like armed robbery and rape. Um, Murder is also 15 years. What does it really mean that the court must give you 15 years unless there's compelling and exceptional circumstances? What yes. are those circumstances? Um. Well, in this case, in practice, in practice, how do the courts see this one? Okay, um, pretty much you can argue whatever you wish, obviously, mm. but often, and this might sound strange, with a person being convicted of that serious an offence, uh, the fact that he or she is a first offender is normally seen as rather compelling because generally, before a guy gets convicted for armed robbery or murder, or whatever, he has had certain brushes with the law before, mm. um, stability of family life. Um, one of the factors which is often looked at in fraud, and this is a huge one, is the repayment, if, if any, of any funds. Um, mm-hmm. You will often find that where a complainant has been fully reimbursed for his or her or the entity's damages, that a non-custodial sentence will then be passed. The person won't even go to prison. Judge Cameron, I know of our constitutional court, spoke very recently, it was the end of last year, at the Western Cape Faculty of... Uh, of law, and uh, he criticised very sharply the Criminal Law Amendment Act in that it shouldn't the sentencing shouldn't be taken out of the hands of the of the court. In other words, you shouldn't say to the court, "You must impose 15 years." He believes that each case must be decided by the judge himself and not by by the legislator. And he and he goes into detail. He says. That uh, the threat of incarceration uh, mm-hmm. is is something that people say deters others from engaging in criminal activity. In other words, is there a deterrent effect if you know that you're going to get 15 years? And he says that there is no. It, it doesn't work that way because and when a man commits a crime, whether he's going to go to jail or not, he's committing the crime, whether it's 15 years or not, kind of thing. Um, so he says the deterrent effect is not that strong. That's his view, and he, he supports it by uh, certain sciences and all the rest. I don't know how you feel about um, I feel what is sorry, regrettable, is that the act was necessary at the time it was made. Um, our sentences that were coming out were very light, very lenient. Mm. Um, it was just post-94. Everyone yes. was very liberal. Mm. And... This country had become very violent and dangerous. Um, I think it must be seen as something written in the time it was written. Um, if I, I agree that it's probably ripe for re-examination. Yeah, he says that, um, I mean, he goes on and on. It's a very interesting discussion for anyone who wants to read what the 
a constitutional court judge in his personal right has to say, have a look, Google Judge Cameron at the University of Western Cape. It was in October last year. Okay. And he goes into a whole lot of detail as to the conditions of prisons, how shocking they are in many circumstances. And in fact, it's the obligation of the constitutional court judges to go around and inspect these prisons. Uh, yes, they form part of the committee. And uh, some of the reports they come out with are are so shocking about the conditions that it's frightening, especially no, it's in Palsmoor. Atrocious, absolutely. It's atrocious, yes. Okay, we um, let's talk about uh, something that uh, has been asked by many of the Legal Talk South African uh, SA listeners, and that is first offenders. Yes. There are a couple of people that have got into trouble. You can see from the postings on the web page, and they say, "What is the average sentence for example theft of a of a phone?" This one person, Craig, writes. He uh, says, "Legal aid lawyer told him twelve months imprisonment," and then he goes, "Despite his lack of interest in the case, he's referring to the legal aid lawyer." Okay. Well. Um once again, what I'm what I'm getting there is is a layman's version of what's going on. Mm. Um, I've also got the accused version of what he's telling his friend. I don't know that he is actually a first offender. Um, it would be very exceptional for a person to go to prison on a first offence um, on something like the value of an iPhone, which is what five six thousand rand. Mm. However, there are certain aggravating factors which I don't know. I mean, I just see like you do the question on paper. Um, so I don't know if he really is a first offender. Also, I don't know if he's stolen that phone from an employer. Now, um, in our law, if you deal with a situation where you have stolen or defrauded an employer, our courts take a very, very dim view indeed mm. because you have abused trust. Um, the other thing which your magistrates always take into account when they deal specifically with the phone, and I think everyone listening can agree with this, is if you steal my phone, you don't just steal a device worth three or four thousand. All my numbers, yeah, everything I've saved on this. So the damage to the uh, complainant here is pretty big. But twelve months, I doubt that. I do believe that this guy probably does have previous convictions. If his if his attorney is talking about twelve months, um, the general attitude of my legal aid lawyer is not interested. Um, yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean, I is, there, is there truth in that? I don't find that generally to be true. I think. Um, some some employees, it's a large organization, some employees might be, I suppose, relatively indifferent to their clients. But you've got to keep in mind your average legal aid attorney is in that court every day, all day, knows his magistrate, knows his prosecutor, and deals with the uh, criminal law all the time. He has more experienced uh, colleagues to turn to. Um, How many cases is the average legal aid lawyer in commercial crimes court handling, as an example? Oh, I wouldn't Today. Know. I wouldn't know. Uh, I'd, I'd say about four or five is going through their heads. I mean, mind you, mind you, and that's, yeah. in a, that's in a normal regional court. As a yeah. matter of fact, in your commercial crimes court, the legal aid is not that uh, uh, flush with work because their people tend to go for private attorneys. Yeah, because they've, they've done big commercial crimes. So, yeah. Yeah. If you're a legal aid uh, attorney, you're working for the state, um, you've got to get through this massive workload. That's correct. It's it's so much more tempting to maybe, and I say this very hesitantly, to plead guilty rather than drag these cases out and hope that you'll do some kind of deal with the prosecutor or something like that. Well, um, I mean, do people get good justice from 
Gary, I did my two years of articles with the Legal Aid Board, and I can assure you my clients got good justice. Okay. Now, in your case, I believe. <laughs> I certainly hope so, because a lot of people are so dependent on legal aid lawyers. I hope that they look after them. It's really important. I think generally they do. That was my experience. Okay. Um, so you're saying that first offenders, even if it's shoplifting or whatever it may be, those kind of things where there's, there's big losses to shoplifting and all the rest – it, they shouldn't. They shouldn't go to jail for these. No, that's rare. That's rare. As a matter of fact, what yeah. I can, what I often do, especially with a client is youngish, by which I say less than thirty years old, and it's a first offence. And what has been stolen is relatively small. You can also do what is called diversion. So uh, that's a process whereby the person effectively pleads guilty but not in front of a court he sends a letter to the prosecutor saying look I did it I'm very sorry mm. these are the reasons why I believe you should have mercy on me and then what is uh, done is that he goes on a diversion list so it's a once off thing and that person then does community service etc gets on with his life without a criminal record his or her life without a criminal record in order to get the diversion do you need an attorney or can you Deal with the prosecutor yourself. How does it you can deal with the prosecutor yourself um, on something as important as having a criminal record, yay or nay. Probably get an experienced attorney. I agree with that. Yeah, if you want to be diverted, it's called right out of the system, really, and not yeah. have a criminal record. And that's get yourself part. an attorney mm. so that he can look after you, protect your rights, and then yes. when you talk diversion, what do you go and sweep the toilets at the local hospital or what? What? What kind or at of the police station or at the library, something like that? Yes, it's a, it's a lot better than being incarcerated, isn't it, with hardened criminals? Well, I mean, Obviously, even if, if yeah. even if you plead guilty and just pay a fine, it's a lot better than. Getting the record. Mm. Um, yeah, you can get cases and, and, and uh, even something as silly as reckless and negligent driving where you've maybe done a stupid thing in the road. Now you have a record. Maybe you're working in the financial services industry where you are checked every six months. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Protect yourself. Get yourself an attorney. Uh, we, we say this without hesitation. Both of us are lawyers. Yeah. And we really believe in this uh, when you're dealing with the with the criminal justice system, just protect yourself. Some people say, oh, I'll just go and plead guilty. The prosecutor said, I won't go to jail, so I'll just get a fine and I'll be out mm -hmm. of there. Be careful. But there's you have the record. Yeah. And the moment you have – there's certain there's certain convictions especially that can um, place a major break on your life plans. The first is anything that includes an element of dishonesty, theft or fraud. Mm. People don't want to employ you. And then the second one, of course, is drugs, even mm. – Dacha, literally, because um, uh, it complicates getting visas. People absolutely. don't want people with drugs convictions with the war on mm. drugs. Ooh, okay. Yeah, absolutely, Lance. Yeah. It's so, not yeah. applicable to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, these things people take a bit too lightly. I've seen them. They queue up in the, in the magistrate's court, one after the other, like sausage machines. Yeah. They're in and out. They don't realize what's happening mm. to them. Yeah. And then they walk around with criminal records. And uh, it messes up their lives. Just yes. look after yourself. This yeah. is the reason why we need such uh, platforms, because with such information, people can actually be wiser and well-informed in terms of making such decisions. Mm -hmm. And kudos to you guys, because this is what most of the youth are actually going through on a daily basis. Yeah, and when you actually them, yeah. go for a job interview, I told you've got a criminal record that, that happened like five years ago. Mm. And as a result, you cannot actually obtain that uh, opportunity. Mm. Mm -hmm. Good point, Lions. Absolutely. Here's a question from Kim that was posted on Legal Talk SA. I really like this one. Enjoy this one, Peter. Mm -hmm. Hypothetically, she says, I was wondering if somebody pleads not guilty, for example, to a charge of murder, but his or her attorney knows 
or the accused confides in the attorney that he or she is actually guilty, is the attorney still allowed to defend the client as if they were not guilty? Uh, this is the old chestnut that lawyers get asked all the time. How can you defend an oak when you know he's guilty? Okay, so he's confided he's... Well, there's two parts. Let's assume, yeah, he con- there's two parts. He walks in and you, he hasn't confided, but you know that he's the biggest liar. He's, his story's changing all the time. He's not sure what he's saying. You know, in your heart of hearts, he's a bullshitter. Okay. And okay. he's telling, he's telling a pack of lies. Can you defend him? He hasn't confided that he's done it. Okay. So you said he's changing his story. Yeah. Uh, my ethics require that I then, uh, Withdraw from the case if he's changing his story Because now I don't know what to put to court Right? Mm. I go to court, I say Your Worship, I have Conflicting instructions And I leave the matter Mm. If however he comes to me with a story Mm. And it's uh, in material aspects the same story And I don't believe him Yes, you don't believe him That's utterly irrelevant When Mm. I stand in court, if you go to a trial You will see that the attorney, when he puts questions to the state witnesses Cross-examine them on the facts And, you know, did you have an opportunity to see him, etc But he also has to state his client's version Mm. So what he'll say is is, My client instructs me that, X How do you respond? My client instructs me that, Y How do you respond? But he always says, my client instructs me that Mm -hmm. It's not the attorney's job to believe or disbelieve him That's a court's job He walks into your office and he says Listen, let me tell you the truth I've murdered the guy. Mm-hmm. I, his body is being put in the felt 200 k's away from here. No one will ever find it. But please protect me. I don't want to go to jail. Uh, just say I don't know anything about it. What, what is your obligation? Um, there I use. I then advise my client to use his right to, to, to remain silent. Um, you go on trial. But you know, you know where the body is. He's told you. He says under the tree, uh, under in the worm spray. Okay. So what he's told, but what he's told me is privileged. I can't disclose that to anyone. Hmm. If the police knock on your door and they say, hey, attorney, has your client told you where the body is? And I say to them, that's privileged. Attorney-client privilege. Attorney-client privilege. I'm sorry I'm not discussing that with you. So you go on trial. You do not state a version. You do not put him in the box. Uh You cross-examine the state witnesses. In a case like this, they already have a problem of not having the body. You attack their case. At the close of their case, you simply close yours too, and you argue the facts. And, uh, and your, cl- your client can loop. He's going to walk free. If and you if know, as the attorney, where the body is. As the attorney, <laughs> I have a duty, uh. ethical duty, to not disclose what has been told to me in privilege. As a matter of fact, mm. um, in June last year. Is this amazing, Lions? It is. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated because I'm just thinking, yeah. this is what most people say, attorneys are liars, because you will be hearing an argument going on. But I'm not that, lying. That's what people think. Because we don't know the, we don't know the, we don't know the law, how it functions, but we just listen based on our, uh, subjective hearing and we just make our own conclusions that people are actually lying. So this is quite fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. Lionel, let me put it to you like yes. this. I'm going to give you an example. Yes. You've had a couple of drinks. You've been driving. Yes. They stop you. They draw your blood. I look at the docket and I see that they drew it two and a half hours after you got pulled off. Right? Mm-hmm. Now I know they've got admissibility issues. I say to you, Lionel, remain silent. I think I can send you home on this. Do you now start jumping up and down and say, no, I want to be convicted? No, of course not. So I have an ethical duty towards my client to represent him to the best of my ethical ability. 
Isn't this so a noble profession? Uh, so they say it's, it's a, noble to your client. Funnily enough, it's oh. not noble to the world. It's noble to your client. Yes. You, your first responsibility is, your is to your client. Your client wow. comes to you and he says, "I've got, I've, I'm HIV positive. I've got AIDS. I'm full blown." It, you can't disclose that to anyone. It was told to you for a reason in confidence. Yeah. You may not disclose it. There was a case. You will know this, Peter, where he, uh, a guy told his doctor, or his doctor oh, found he, out, you remember, yes. and the doctor went to play golf, and he told his mates, he said, you know, so-and-so, he's HIV positive. Actually, the doctor got into serious KAK. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, just, just uh, Cameron, actually his book uh, refers yeah. to that case because they, he was actually representing the guy, yes. I remember, because he won the case. Oh, my word. Mm-hmm. So the answer, how can a lawyer defend someone he knows to be guilty what you're really doing is you you are just you know let the state prove it. That's that's the obligation of the state. Prove your case. That's correct. You can't put your client in the witness. If your client says, "I want to get in the witness box," and then he says, "I don't know where the body is," then you're in a bit of trouble. Then I'm in some ethical trouble because he's told you where the body is. Yes, then, then you I- then you the, then the lawyer's got a problem. Yeah, but, but if you just keep quiet and you say you state prove everything, yes, then I think you're okay. Yes. There's a, yeah, I mean, it's a hard one. This, yeah, uh, the public is. will say, jeepers, this is, this is an unfair. The public will say that till they need my services. <laughs> yeah, no, true. No, you are so correct on that. Absolutely. Yeah. You're so right about that. No, my lawyer protected me and I paid him and that's it. That's it. Yeah. Love it. Uh, just quickly, we have so many questions on parole. There's one that came in and, and it's funny how you just see the, the thread of these. Um, some guy t- or, or a lady writes Tanya she says can anyone please tell me how to find out if someone is up for parole for murder the animal who murdered my 12 year old niece 15 years ago got 34 years for uh, breaking and entering theft rape and murder I want to know how I go, go about stopping him from getting out I need to know if and when he's eligible for parole Okay. firstly my sympathies with your loss um, now the sentencing, I'm assuming, happened 15 to 14 years ago. I mean, there's mm. usually a bit of a, a time lapse between the incident and his sentencing. But anyway, it happened before 2010. So that's a diff- that's a very important cutoff date. Um, mm. The parole system changed there. For a first offender, um, he would have to do half of his sentence before he became eligible for parole. Now um, it is two-thirds. But because he was sentenced before 2010, it's half. So he was... Sentenced 15 years ago, he has to do 17 before he becomes eligible for parole. Now, let me give the following warning, the following caveat, as we lawyers like to say. You saying to me 34 years. Sentences in this country are often far more complex than people understand. So I'm assuming a full 34 years. It might be that he's already out because some of these sentences were concurrent, right? But if he's actually doing 34 years, he becomes eligible for parole in two years. Now, your best way to to find out where he is... um, it's just you start at the court where he was convicted. You get your charge sheet, you get your name. Um, do they go back? Will you get it? 17? It's in, it's in, um, remember, charge sheets are public documents. Where do you get it from the clerk, clerk of the, the clock? The, the clock, clock, of, of, clock of it's the court. called the clerk of the, crim, of the court. The clerk of the criminal court. Yeah. Um, 15 years, for a document 15 years ago, he might have to go to the um, archives. archives and yeah. charge you a small fee. Mm. But those documents are public documents. Then you have the guy's full name, uh, date of birth, etc. Mm. Uh, if you're lucky, he tried an appeal. 
which means that most probably there's a power of attorney from the appealing attorneys, the guys that uh, try to prosecute the appeal, which normally means that his prison number will be in there because that's your next step. You must always get this guy's prison number. So, mm-hmm. And the reason why the court is also important, it, not, it tells you which uh, prison he went to initially. So, If you know which prison he's in now, then you don't have to go to the court. No, no, you no, just go you directly. Yeah, then you yeah. can just go directly. You can oppose the parole. Am I right about yes, that? Yes, and yes. you should oppose the parole. I'm, gonna, I'm going to yes. give you an example. There was yeah. those chaps in 91 or 92 and in some satanistic, satanistic ritual, they cut this woman's throat and left her to die. What happened was that she survived, mm. crawled to the road, was saved, recovered, testified against them in court, mm. and they were given life. Um, yeah. Now, in terms of the uh, Correctional Services Act, everyone becomes per- eligible for parole after 25 years, no matter the sentence. Now, remember, eligible for parole doesn't mean you get parole. Mm. So this guy had just become eligible for parole. But his victim, who now lives in New Zealand, was sending – she didn't even show up to testify. She's just been sending emails, etc. Um, and that is part of what's kept him in. Another part of what's kept him in is he got his hand somehow on uh, Facebook and has been trying to con people out of money from prison. So, oh, okay. so it's also not helped his parole. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, these criminals are very creative. Yeah. Facebook in prison. <laughs> is, it, is it true that most people that are convicted always pre- – Pronounce their innocence. I'm innocent. It was wrong. You see it in the movies. No. Not here. No. <laughs> Peter, um, we're gonna. We have a very interesting <clears throat> segment that I'd like to deal with you on. It's about uh, our president, Jacob Zuma. Yeah. Right now, it is so topical <laughs> that I need to spend a bit of time with you on it. How does he go? And escape liability. That's what he's after. So what we're going to do is we're going to put it on a separate podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to sign off now and then we're going to come back in okay. two minutes and then we're going to deal with that. Okay. To our listeners, please listen to that one. It's going to be super duper. We'll be right back. This is CliffCentral.com.